This is a Morley Radio podcast. Hello, welcome to the London Hat Week at Home podcast. I'm Becky Weaver, co-founder of London Hat Week and also editor-in-chief of Hat Talk e-magazine. Hi, and I'm Georgina Abbott, co-founder of London Hat Week along with Becky Weaver and also owner of Atelier Millinery, a headwear business based in London. Just a big thank you to Morley Radio for producing and making this podcast possible today. Due to the pandemic, we are not in the studio again and we are recording this remotely, so apologies for any sound problems. For this episode, we are delighted to be joined by Nora Fines, who straddles the worlds of science and vintage while also blogging about all manner of extremely interesting and useful topics, including diversity and inclusion. Nora also happens to be a hat enthusiast and lives in London. We were introduced by our mutual friend Rowena Howie at the Revival Retro Boutique in London, and I've been an avid follower ever since. We could ask you about many things, but the hat you are wearing today is all about Vinspiration and cultural appropriation. Welcome, Nora. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited, even though I'm not wearing a hat today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't tell everybody that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They don't don't need to know, do they? (laughs) No, they don't. You're you're wearing an extremely glamorous hat that's so sheer, (laughs) we can hardly see it, but it's beautiful. So, uh, before we get into conversation, Nora, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your very international background? Okay, so I'm Nora. My pronouns are she, her. I usually say that I am Chinese, Indonesian, Australian, and I have lived in London since 2015. Um, I am a communications officer at a university in London, and I am a vintage addict. So that's that's basically who Nora is. <laughs> that's your potted profile. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we we know. I mean, I've been looking at your your Instagram account in particular, which is uh, at Nora Finds. If anybody wants to have a look at that, it's really informative and also very beautiful. You you post some really beautifully created images on there. Um, you you must have an absolutely enormous wardrobe. Um, the the ones that were I've noticed the most over the last year or so, I think, was the recreation series. Um, so I wondered if you could give us the background on that. So the recreation series basically started during lockdown. I was admittedly a little bit scared about going out at you know at mm. the beginning I was I was feeling quite down because I usually go out and take pictures when I'm you know out and about wearing my vintage and I thought how can I still wear vintage how can I still motivate myself to wear vintage and at one point I was looking through um, old images old photographs for inspiration and I thought, hmm, hang on, why do I always see people who don't look like me in these photos? What if I insert myself into these photos? Um, and that is basically how recreation story, um, series started. I just thought, what would, what would this make people think if I just erase this woman and replace it with me, an Asian wearing vintage? <laughs> But you did it so beautifully. I mean, you you managed to replicate the outfits 
um, and the and the poses as well. Some of those poses in vintage photographs are quite extreme, aren't they? <laughs> how did how long yes. did it take you to do that? It is actually quite challenging. What I realize is it's not only the pose that is tricky, but what but I find I find the models they're really they have completely different figure to modern women. Mm. So I keep comparing myself and, you know, because I was using Photoshop, I found myself thinking, hang on, why is my waist like 50% bigger than these women? And, and this, it, I think it just, it just reminds you of how all of these images are curated. All of these images mm. were designed and chosen specific. They were models. I mean, I mm. can replace myself. I can replace a Victoria's Secret catalog picture with myself and feel mm. the same way so it's not it's not just a vintage problem it is media problem we mm. are amplifying women who don't look like us mm -hmm. that's right and and what kind of comments did you get what kind of feedback did you have on on the series i actually get quite a lot of positive comments a lot of mm. women think oh it's you know they come from you know, there are different perspectives. Some would say, oh, it's really nice to see you replicating specific outfits, even though it's not specific. It's not the same pieces. Some of them think, oh, it's actually really refreshing seeing vintage images with people who look like me, who are not, you know, a model from the 50s. Um, and because of because of how I captioned my post, I think it really does make people think as well. Um, when I started doing the recreation, I was I was doing a lot of self learning about racism, about Black Lives Matter. So in a way, I was I was I was sharing my learning with people, and I get a lot of discussion, a lot of really beautiful, meaningful discussion. You know, we're all learning together, and I think I think what I what I was reiterating in my post is there is no right or wrong answer. We are still learning. So let's have a discussion. Let's have a safe space to discuss. This. So, yeah. You mentioned you're a vintage addict and you obviously have an amazing handle on how things should be worn and, you know, how to source these things to even be able to recreate some of those images. So when did your love of vintage start? How did that come about? I actually got into vintage quite late. I actually got into vintage in my early 20s when I was living in Sydney. So I was a university student. I was poor. I didn't have a lot of money. And I realized there were so many secondhand shops. Growing up in, I grew up in Indonesia, growing up Asian as well. Like secondhand clothes are rather frowned upon. They, they think, you know, new is always better. And, and like, why are you wearing things that, you know, that dead people, you know, like that's associated <laughs> with dead people. And I, I actually thought, oh my God, there's so many, like it's such an old fashioned thinking because a lot of secondhand, the majority of clothes we see in secondhand shops are probably just, you know, are prob were probably owned by women who just got bored of their wardrobe, who just wanted mm. some change. So I started by going to the, going to secondhand shop and I realized there were so many beautiful I started with the prom dresses the 50s prom <laughs> dresses I look at them and I go oh my god these dresses make me think of and make me feel like Cinderella and I was like oh my god like why don't why don't <laughs> I let myself buy things that make me feel like a princess yeah 
you know, especially in your, in, you know, I was, I was in my early 20s. I was probably like questioning life and, you know, I just needed my princess moments. So vintage clothes really were really the perfect way for me to like get my princess moments. Amazing. It's <laughs> great. So how would you describe your personal style overall? Is it all vintage or do you kind of mix vintage with modern? Um, I would say my personal style is casual vintage. So I am very practical. I used to work in the lab. I used to deal with a lot of chemicals and I, I, would, I, I would worry a lot about ruining my vintage. I absolutely love um, reproduction pieces as well. I think reproduction pieces are the way forward to make vintage community more uh, inclusive, to make it more, you know, like acceptable by everyone. Because I think right now, a lot of vintage clothes have become really expensive, really unaffordable. And, you know, vintage clothes are really high maintenance. Like everything needs to be hand washed. Who's got time for that? Like we <laughs> yeah. just want to, you know, like it's, why can't we just have some fun dresses that we can chuck into the washing machine? We don't have time for that. Like we're all really, really busy. Like doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. I love your, your the idea of the princess moment <laughs> for, with the prom dresses. So and who would you say would be your fashion icon overall? Oh, the fashion icon, I would say, I don't have a, I don't have one individual who's a fashion icon. I would say my ultimate fashion icon is a random person I see walking down the street, really digging their own style and walking with a lot of confidence. You know, the moment where, where you can't help but go, oh, you're so beautiful, you look so good. And, I, and I, I never stopped myself. Like, literally on the weekend, I was out running. I came back. I was really sweaty. I was really disgusting. And I saw a girl looking absolutely amazing. And I just went up to her and I'm like, hi, I just want to say you're amazing. You look absolutely gorgeous. And I think I scared them. But, I mean, she was definitely my fashion icon of the week. That's brilliant, though. That's that's I love just that. such a brilliant yeah. thing to do. That person probably felt great all day. I think I scared her for a little bit, and then I think when <laughs> once I left, she was like, oh, "Okay, I feel good now." <laughs> when you didn't reach for her handbag, she thought, "Oh, okay, she's not mad." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've seen, you know the pictures that you post are just amazing and. It seems endless with the outfits you create. So, you know, how, how big or like how, how is your collection of clothing? You know, how, how have you built it up? So I, I do admit I have a lot of dresses. I have never counted them. I'm too scared to even like start counting them. But what I want to say is a lot of people think I have a lot more than, you know, other people. But I would say I... My wardrobe is slightly bigger because I accommodate my size fluctuation. So I have anything literally from 23-inch waist to about 29-inch waist. So that's basically like size 6 to size 12. And I, I allow myself to not feel bad about not fitting into like some outfit. So I just, you know, so I think it's good to have a range because, you know, 
life is hard. Like, let's not worry about what fits and what doesn't. Let's just think about what makes you feel good. Love that advice. <laughs> I think we can all take that. <laughs> Definitely. Especially after the last year or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what about the hat collection then? Oh, the hat collection. I would say I probably have about 40 to 50 vintage hats. That's not a lot, is it? Is it? <laughs> I think that's that's reasonable. Okay, so in my defense, in my defense, I started I started collecting hats because I would say when you go, you know, back in the days when you go to vintage shops or go to vintage market, not a lot of people were wearing hats. Not a lot of people were buying hats. So I find that hats are a great way to to buy something, to, to get something, to bring something home, but you're not competing with other people. So often the sellers are willing to give you a, a you know a better price because they're like, yeah, no one's no one's buying hats. People still think hats are very dressed up. And I think, you know, it's great that we're trying to bring hats back to daily life. We definitely agree with that. Uh, and I think, you know, actually then when you were saying about, you know, mixing vintage reproductions and sometimes that could be a good way of bringing some um, authentic vintage into an outfit and mixing it with maybe a dress that's a reproduction. You know, do you have like a specific hat we need to know, like your best find vintage wise? What was it? <laughs> I have this beautiful 1940s halo hat. I think that's what they're called. They're quite big. Oh. So they're, they're asymmetric. They're halo and they are velvet with a rhinestone. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very, I, you know, it's, I want to say it's very schiaparelli, you know, very, very her style. And I absolutely love that it, it absolutely doesn't go with anything that I own, but I wear it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's excellent and how, how does that one make you feel <laughs> makes me feel really special I think there is something about wearing a nice hat that makes you feel like you know what I'm worth this hat I am worth dressing up for <laughs> so I always think putting a hat on is yeah a really special finishing touch so you have a you know very um great look it's you look amazing and we love your hair and your makeup you know you, you just do it well um and it's also unique it's it's very much you know you um how did you develop your look and and you know looking at old pictures you know what was your inspiration for that i i don't really use um vintage inspiration for my look honestly i can do one makeup look and i am too lazy to do anything with my hair I love short hair. I am too lazy to grow it. <laughs> and, I think, and I think having short hair really makes me stand out. And in a, in a good way. I, I, I think when I look back to when I was younger and I always thought, who was the, who was the cool girls that, that I see on TV? There were always girls like, you know, the lead singer of the Cranberries, and I always think she looks so cool. How is she so how is she so cool with the short hair? And growing up, I always thought, oh, you know, being a the perfect Asian girl is having long hair, having fair skin, dressing a certain way. And I I remember when I first cut my hair, everyone was really shocked. Like I have a lot of my friends who were like, we don't like it. 
And I'm like, well, too bad. It's fading. And I've, I've had short hair for about like eight, nine years. And, and you know, now, now people can't even like, you know, can't even remember how I used to look with long hair. So I think at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, I like really different looks and I like mix matching. Life is too short to try to look like a vintage girl. And people always talk about authenticity or like, oh, you need to wear corset, you need to wear stocking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, yeah, but like we live in 2021. Like I have to go and take mm. public transport. I don't want to wear a corset. I have to go and sit in the office for eight hours. I don't want to wear this. And I think mm. we just need to appreciate what was good, what is the aesthetic that is good and adapt it to our life. Like we need to just go on with our modern life and enjoy what we have in mm. 2021. I mean, not a lot, but like, I mean, not the pandemic, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, totally agree. And I think that it can almost be intimidating for someone that really appreciates looking at vintage. But, you know, like you said, a lot of it's gotten expensive and, and it can be hard to know where to start. And you feel like you have to do the whole thing and get the whole look just right. And some people, you know, do a great job of that. But I think it's really, it, is that just for a photo shoot? You want to be able to wear it and actually in, and live in it. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of vintage girls out there that do like what you need to remember is a lot of them work as vintage girls like they right. actually are vintage models they are mm. they they produce clothing they have a certain yeah. lifestyle that they're trying to promote i am not a vintage girl i am a modern girl wearing vintage and i think that is a very important thing for us to remember like we can never be truly a hundred percent vintage unless mm. you can you can if, if you have a time traveling machine in your <laughs> backyard yeah maybe but uh, there is no way <laughs> We can be vintage a hundred percent. Okay. Um, so I, <laughs> I wanted to um, go back to the point about the short hair because I think it it looks amazing, and you're right, it does make you stand out. And but we often hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I can't wear hats because I've got short hair," and it some somehow or the other people have this idea that it won't look right. But you. You look amazing. I mean, you wear all sorts of different hats as well. It's not like you stick to one style. You had, had, was that ever an issue for you? Did you did you think about that? Um, I would say it's very rare. Uh, it's very rare that I find a specific type of hat that doesn't work on short hair. Because I think I think a lot of um, I've I've had some like 1940s hats that are like quite difficult like it doesn't sit properly because you can't pin it to the hair mm. and what I do is I just sew a, a little band like I just sew a little headband right. like you know find a nice sparkly you know um, ribbon find a nice velvet mm. ribbon and then you make it even more special I, mm. I even I used to say to people why why bother having hair when you have hats why bother styling your hair when you can just put a hat on? We love it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, I think you get a, you get a lot more of the silhouette of the hat. Sometimes long hair can actually, you're trying to get it out of the way, I think, to make a hat look good. So that's, you know, makes a lot of sense. Do You, you said you sew headbands in and things. Do you ever do any trimmings? And like, do you ever kind of make or maybe, you know, work on something that's already made? Um, I've never made my own hat. I would, 
I would probably like fix it. I am, you know, I I believe that you know a lot of a lot of these beautiful hats are have maybe little damage or little marks, and I still think they're absolutely beautiful. So I have added headbands or probably put some, uh, you know, added some rhinestones. Yeah, me and rhinestones and the princess dresses. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really showing it now. Um, but yeah, I think I, I've never made my own. I I have seen a lot of really beautiful hats that Georgina made. I absolutely love her hats. But yeah, I I I have too many hobbies, so I'm not venturing. You know, to that side yet. <laughs> well, maybe at the next London Hat Week, you yes. can just take a day out just to make one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <Cool>. It's a day. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, we we book book you into the workroom, Laura. You can <laughs> come and have a go. <laughs> so you, <laughs> along with all of your along with all of your your hobbies and interests, you you're also a really busy person, um, work wise, and um, you you use your social media presence um really really well i mean you it, it's not just about the images it's there's a lot of messages and a lot of information and investigation as well and and, and discussion and one of the things that um has been cropping up a lot recently um out on social media is also about cultural appropriation in fashion and in the same way that some people use maybe vintage for inspiration they they kind of creep into the area of um, cultural appropriation. And we just wondered what, what your understanding was of, of that. So I think in the vintage community, a cult- cultural appropriation is a huge problem. And I think the, the biggest problem is people say, oh, but I am, I am just copying an old image. So why is that wrong? Hmm. Or they say, oh, but you know, I don't, I don't mean to offend people. And I think, and I think we need to, we need to get out of the mindset of being vintage because we always, I think, I think Dandy Wellington from the States did this amazing campaign of vintage style, not vintage values. And I think that is absolutely important. Absolutely important for us to remember that we are appreciating the aesthetic, but we also have to admit that historically, there were a lot of racism, sexism, yeah. discrimination, cultural appropriation going on. And yeah. we are now educated. We are now more modern. We have a lot more resources in our reach to do better. So I think when it comes to cultural appropriation, I, I think my biggest struggle is people feeling not feeling like they can confidently find information. So this is why I try to educate people. I hate the word educate because I'm not an expert in this. I'm sharing like, I'm learning as much as everyone else. Yeah. But I think it's important for us to have the conversation. If we don't have the conversation, we will, we will just shy away from it. And right now, not doing anything in action actually can cause as much damage. Mm. Being a bystander can mm-hmm. cause as much damage. If you see something is wrong, if you if something makes you feel uncomfortable, call it out. Thank you, Nora. That's it's a really important message. Um, and it it's a really important conversation to have and you know we're we're learning too. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you. 
And as you mentioned Dandy Wellington, who, and he made some amazing um, images, imagery, and also some inter- started some good conversations himself. And were there any other um, useful examples you think that people could could reference to to learn more about this? I would say um, so. Steen, so Christine from the US, it's absolutely amazing. She is she does historical costuming. So she deals with people who are wearing, you know, 18th, 19th, 19th uh, century costumes. So she she gets a lot more backlash. You know, she gets a lot more criticism. People saying like, oh, you don't look right in these clothes. These are white people clothes. Why are you wearing them? And um, I also want to highlight Not Your Mama's History. She is absolutely amazing. She She goes around, literally, she goes around in front of like, Congress, um, and she talk, uh, She basically says, "Let's talk about slavery." She's absolutely amazing. I think I think a lot of a lot of people who are doing really great work can do it. Can be brave because they're not depending on vintage. They're not depending on this industry to make money. So I am not like I don't make money from vintage. So whenever I get criticism, I can. I can just walk away. Like the mm-hmm. way I, I treat social media is as a learning platform. It's a discussion platform. It's not to make money. It's not, you know, it's not for financial reasons. So I think whenever it feels a little bit too much, whenever it feels a bit toxic, I just take myself away from that. And I think mm. it's important for everyone to to understand that. Yeah. Also, just a reminder, just because someone is not talking about it online, does not mean that they're not talking about it offline. Let's mm. appreciate that. Some people mm. don't want to have a conversation with 500 strangers on the internet. Yeah. So just yeah. appreciate that. Maybe they're having that discussion with their racist uncle, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think, you know, like Georgina said, we all want to learn, we all want to do better. And, and you know, sometimes it's just, it is a lack of, of knowing or, or having experienced things coming from a different, you know, background, you know, it's just, not, if you haven't experienced it, it's hard to know what it, to recognize it or to point it out, you know, and it's not a lack of wanting to, but so, you know, what are some things people could look out for? What are some first steps people could take in, in standing up for, you know, like you said, I love that, um, you know, vintage style or aesthetic, but not the values, you know, how do you, Pick out one thing is okay and one thing is not, I guess. I would say, I would say, like, utilize Google. You know, like, there's a lot, there's a lot that you can learn from just Googling something. If you, like, I I do this myself. Like, if I worry about something, I would literally just put in keyword, turban, racism. And then it will come up with a whole bunch of articles. And then I can make, I can, I can be comfortable with whatever I decide to do. I would be like, okay, this style of turban is cultural appropriation. This style is maybe cultural appropriation. And this style is not because it's just a head wrap. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important for us to do, do our own research. I think the problem that a lot of people um, have on social media is why are you asking that one you know, BAME person, that one black person, that one Asian person, whether or not something is culturally appropriate. Because, you know, like we don't represent everyone. 
an hour back, like if someone, like I get a lot of people messaging me saying, is this Chong Sam? If, if I wear this Chong Sam, is it culturally appropriating? And I'm like, well, that's a very, very broad question. Why are you wearing it? Where did you get it from? What is your cultural background? Are you just wearing it because it's pretty? Like the, those are the questions that I will prompt them to ask themselves. And I think a lot of, a lot of what we need to do is self-reflection. You know, we, I think it's important to not just hear what people say and like repeat it. We need to understand why they say it. We need to understand what is it about their background and their life experience that make them think this is racist. This is culturally appropriating. Only by trying to putting ourselves into their own shoes. That's when we know. You know, oh, I understand why you think this is culturally appropriating. I understand, and as a decent person, I will not want to make you feel uncomfortable. So you know, so I think at the end of the day, use Google, Google it first, then ask someone. Yeah. Well, I think you know, and, and really important thing about what you're saying is is to ask ask questions of yourself, ask questions of yes. other people, but um, you know, ask questions of Google. But like, don't just take things at face value, but actually think about what you're looking at deeply yeah um, and that's i think that's a big step for everyone to take you've you've commented before on how few asians wear vintage um what are your current theories on this why um so i wrote about this um, a few years ago because i realized that a lot of asians are still a bit shy about wearing vintage i'm seeing more asians wearing vintage because i think now there's a there's a there's kind of like a revival a revival of appreciation of your own culture yeah before with you know before we everything everything that is perfect everything that is quote unquote goal is set by the western the western countries but now you see asians embracing their culture a bit more so i would say i would say that the media has done quite a lot in you know, increasing representation of Asians in the media, so people are prouder of their own identity. I, I would say that a lot of my my strongest theory still is diaspora and migration. So a lot are, a lot of Asians. I am Chinese Indonesian, so that is that actually means I am a third generation Chinese living in Indonesia. So I have never been to China. I have pretty much no connection with China, except that, you know, for the blood that is still running in me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and I think migration, diaspora, you know, we kind of lose that identity as we try to assimilate. That's my theory. <laughs> so we've, um, we also in the, in the vintage world, um, I mean, I go to quite a few events and, um, and, you know, enjoy, um, dabbling in, uh, vintage myself. Um, and as a, as a white woman, I often notice that it's very predominantly white at these events. Um, and it, it's always a surprise every time I go. And I, I just wonder if you have any ideas on that and what, what could maybe some of the event organizers do? to change that and to, to make things a little more representative and inclusive? I would say 
the event organizer could use could use you know representation more white more diverse representation mm. when they're promoting mm. their events mm. and consider they have to consider like what the diverse audience want rather than I think what a lot of vintage events the main event is competition the main event is who looks most vintage mm. Mm. and and when you're talking about a diverse participant like I would always feel like oh yeah but there you know maybe I maybe I didn't win because I don't look vintage enough I do I don't look white enough I mean I hate I hate playing the you know it's it probably sounds like I'm playing the race card but I know as a you know as a 20 year old I was feeling that way I was like oh everyone said my outfit is really cute and yet I keep losing and I also realized that why are we competing like the whole point is for us to get everyone to wear vintage I don't really <laughs> see why we should be competing. Everyone should be able to like, you know, express their personality through the pieces that they pick. Mm. So I would love, love, I mean, controversial, but I would love to see vintage events do discussions on race, mm. do discussions on how they can be more diverse mm. and why and why. And, you know, they like in marketing point of view, why, why only white people go to their events? Yeah. They need to think about that. It's always so strange. And once you kind of, once you notice it, every time you go, well, I find that every time I go to something, it's the first thing I notice. And I just, I stand there thinking, this is just weird. It's, it's not, not the real world. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's great to have the discussion about it and, um, and try to make some changes. Um, I just wondered, um, also, you've, you've lived in all sorts of different places and, and experienced different the vintage scenes in London and, and Sydney and, and other places. And um, what kind of differences do you, do you experience between those places? I would say that they're not, they're not too different. I guess the vintage scenes are not too different, but what pieces are popular are rather different. Obviously, in... In Sydney, sundresses, cotton dresses are the most popular. So they become really expensive. Mm. But in London, you know, you can get the most beautiful winter coats, but they do become expensive as well. Mm. So I would say the vintage scenes, at the end of the day, the vintage scenes aren't that different. Because, at, you know, the format of the events are usually similar. You know, it's still based on competition. And mm. I really don't like competition. We should be supporting each other and not competing. Um, but yeah, I, I would say slight difference. Slight difference, I would say more in the like what's popular or like the vintage market rather than the vintage scenes. Yeah. You're right. That's funny about the competition thing because it's it's the same on the um, on the racing scene. There's always the competition for the best dressed and the, the best hat. And, and it, 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 you know, it generates excitement. But you're right; it isn't. It isn't particularly supportive. So uh, maybe we can come up with some some good ideas there. <laughs> so, so what's next for you on um, Nora Finds on your on your blog and on your Instagram account? Uh, that is actually a very very difficult one to answer because I find that I find that it's really difficult to be inspired when you know with the pandemic. 
it, it kind of also makes me feel like if I'm focusing on vintage too much, I'm being really shallow and not being appreciative of how how privileged we are to be able to work from home, be safe, be protected by the NHS. Mm. You know, I think it's it's hard to foresee what you know Nora finds is going to be. I hope we can take this opportunity of staying at home to do some learning, mm. to have discussion, and still connect with people in different ways, and maybe think about how our community can be more inclusive because. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's really amazing now because all of the events are online. So I can take my wheelchair. Like I don't have to worry about, you know, I don't have to worry about getting like a BSL speaker. Like, and I think that's really important. Mm. Like thinking about how we can take advantage of this to make things more inclusive. Mm. And I think, I think with your workshop as well, like, I, I know a lot of people are saying, oh my God, like now we can do workshops from home. How great can, how great is that? And a lot of people who can't come to London in person are now taking advantage of this. So definitely, I think it would be amazing to see the future of like a bit more hybrid learning. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, that's, I, I don't have plans for my own platform. I have a lot of plans for, well, I have a, I have an, a vision of how the community should be. Well, we appreciate you doing your part because it's inspiring others um, to do the same. And, and I guess one question we have a lot of, you know, you mentioned about how events could do better, but what about small businesses? Because we, a lot of our listeners might have their own small hat business um, and they might be running their own social media around that. And is there ways they could just promote inclusivity and diversity for their brands? I think... I think it depends, obviously it depends on what product, but I think obviously the first step is having diverse models. That's very important. And by diverse, I think we also need to remember that it's not just about race. It's also about, you know, disability. It's about you know, sexual orientation. And I think it's really nice to see diverse models to start with, because obviously they are the visual of the brand. But, you know, once you get that, it is also important, I think it's important to start working, collaborating with diverse talents, diverse seamstresses, diverse manufacturers, you know, and I would, yeah, I think, I think, um, I understand that small brands have obviously, you know, smaller budget on how they can increase inclusivity, but there are many creative ways to do so. And maybe when you're advertising, maybe consciously pick someone else, someone who is diverse, someone who is slightly different, a new market that you could tap. And I think people will really appreciate that. So that's a a really great advice. Thank you, Nora. And um, thank you for allowing us to to have this discussion with you. It's, It's been really enlightening. And I hope everybody has managed to pick up a few ideas to increase their own learning and um, make that a focus for 2021. So thank you so much, Nora. Thank you for um, spending this time with us. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for having me. That was Nora Fines with us, Becky Weaver and Georgina Abbott of London Hat Week on Morley Radio. To find out more about Nora, go to at Nora Fines on Instagram. And for us, go to London Hat Week on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or visit www.londonhatweek.com. 
Thanks for listening. And thanks to Nora for joining us today.